Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're talking about baptism. Uh, your view of baptism has probably been shaped in some part, however minimal it's been shaped by, in some part by the family that you grew up in, by the church that you might have attended. Uh, I, don't, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know too many people that if you were to have a conversation about baptism, they would say something to you along the lines of, well, I did a one-week study on baptism, and here's what I believe. Most people don't do that. Most people, they pretty much what they know about baptism is what they learned growing up in church if they went to church, or what traditions have been handed down to them, or what they've been taught maybe by their parents, or, or you know, a lot of times families don't go to church, and they just know based on something that they've seen or what they think it is. Um, so we have all these different views on what we think baptism is. Um, but we're, what we're going to see today is that this is a pretty important topic for us to discuss. And I don't talk about this a lot, but you, we show you baptisms all the time. And so I want to take a look at what does the Bible say about baptism. Today, I, I want to I talk about, a, a, it's, it can be fascinating. I think it's fairly important for us to talk about. The reason it can be confusing, and the reason that there's so many traditions is because there are, there's some groups of people say that what the scriptures say about it is what we're going to go with. And other, there's other group of people that say what the church says about it is what we're going to go with. And if you've walked in here today and you're a visitor, first of all, welcome. We're glad you're with us at Cross Lane. Uh, really happy to have you. But if you're wondering what group we would fall under, we're going to fall under what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures teach about this thing that we call baptism? All throughout the New Testament, every time a person puts their faith in Jesus, they are immediately baptized. And when Jesus was ready to leave this earth, he, uh, he got his followers together and he's about to say something. Now think about if you had a group of followers and you were getting ready to leave them, okay, and you were going to say one last thing to them, don't you think that what you were about to say would be very important? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that the last things you would say to your disciples would be really important? Here's what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, teach them about me. Bring them to me. That's kind of what our bringing people to Jesus thing is all about. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus commands us and he said, as people become followers of mine, as you lead them to me, those of you who have led them to me, I want you to baptize them in my name. Now, here's the question. Why? Why? Why is it so important? You know, some of you experienced baptism in an entirely different way than what you just saw on the screen. Some of you, <clears throat> were, were, you experienced that as a child, or maybe some of you experienced that as a, as a baby. So, you know, how is it that some people can come to view baptism like this, others come to view it like this? What's the, you know, where's the disconnect in the whole thing? And why is it that some people see baptism as something that's really only done for infants and for children, and then you come to a church like ours and you see people who are adults who, who get in the baptiz baptismal waters and they're baptized? That's the dilemma. That's really the question, and it's important because Jesus said we need to do this. Okay, so we need to kind of talk about why. Uh, so let's do something fun. I want you to use your imagination this morning. So I want you to pretend that you are a businessman, you are a merchant, and you live in first, city, uh, first century in the city of Jerusalem, okay? And you are of a mixed background. Your father was a, a, a Roman, 
and your mother was a Greek. So you have a, a mixed background, but you found some opportunities in Palestine from a business perspective. And so you've moved to Palestine, specifically you've moved to Jerusalem, and as you have lived there, you realize that your culture as a Roman and a Greek is very different than the culture you're experiencing, this Jewish culture that you're experiencing. And you don't really consider yourself a religious person. You've heard about the Greek and Roman gods. You know, you, they told you about Zeus and Athena and Artemis and Aphrodite and people like that. But you didn't really get into all that. Your parents, you know, they talked about that a little bit, they, and they kind of did it because it was a cultural thing, but they weren't super religious about it. Um, they taught you that if you're ever around people that are talking about the gods or talking about Zeus or whatever, you should be polite, you should indulge them. But, but you didn't know if you believed in multiple gods. You didn't know if you believed really in any god. But, but you were respectful and you were polite when people talked about those kind of things. But once you moved to Jerusalem and you started to, to mingle with the Jews that were there, you discovered something that you had never really been acquainted with before. They, you found out that they were a very, very devout group of people. And, and the, the odd thing about them is that they believed that there was just one God. They didn't believe in multiple gods. They just believed in one God. And you'd been raised to believe in all these uh, different multiple gods. There was a, you know, a God that controlled storms and another one that controlled passions and another one that controlled the, the sea and another one that controlled the sun. So you had all these things going on and it never really made much sense to you, but it was the only paradigm that you had, okay? It was this idea of multiple gods and you know, I've heard my, my mom and dad talk about them. But then you started hanging around with these Jewish merchants and businessmen, even though, and they started to demonstrate to you that even though they were oppressed, even though they were overly taxed, they were so devout. And they, they had what you would even refer to as a love for their God. Okay, they loved their God. You, you weren't taught to love Zeus. You probably were taught to fear Zeus. You probably... You probably were taught it doesn't matter what you think about Zeus. It matters what Zeus thinks about you and not in a good way. You just don't want to be on his bad side. We want to appease this God. We want to, we want to make him happy so he'll do what we want him to do, which is, is completely different than what we teach and what, the, what Christianity teaches. They believe these Jewish people, as you hang around them, they believe there's just one God. And as you get to know these men and women, their families are different. Their values are different, their culture was different, and even in the midst of their depression, there was a joy about them, and it became very, very attractive to you. And as time went by, you began to believe that there might just be this one God that these Jewish people seemed to serve and love, and as you observed, you became familiar with their law, and you realized that this makes sense. This is, this is how society should work, and this is how the world should be, and then one day, it occurs to you, you know what? I think I want to convert to Judaism. I think I want to, I want to align myself with these people. I wasn't born Jewish, I was born Greek-Roman, but I would like to embrace Judaism as my religion and worship the God of the Hebrews. So you go to your, one of your friends and you ask them, hey, you know, I wanna do this, what, what should I do? And they say, well, you know, I'm not the one that should help you, you need to get to one of our leaders. So they send you to a, a religious leader and you explain to him, I, I think I want to convert to Judaism. And so you say, can I be Jewish? Can I convert? Can I become one of, of, of you? And they introduced you to, to some of the religious leaders who said, you know, you're a Gentile. 
we're Jews, but you can become Jewish if you want to. It's an involved process, but if you want to become a Jew, here's what you have to do. And so that now they're going to lay out a list of the things that you would need to do to convert from being a Gentile to be a Jew. And number one on the list was this. First thing that has to happen is you have to be circumcised. And at this point, if you're this guy, you're thinking to yourself, I think I'll stick with Zeus, right? Like, like I don't know about that. Um, okay, I'll consider that, all right? That would be easier for the, the gals in my family than for me, um, but okay, what else? And they said, okay, not only that, but um, once you're circumcised, you have to participate in a covenant meal. And you're thinking, okay, food, I can, I can do that. And, and, and then they say, then you have to submit yourself to the law of Moses. And you say, well, I'm familiar with that. I, th- I think I can do that. And then they say, you have to do a special sacrifice as a Gentile. And you say, well, I've seen sacrifices as I've grown up. I kind of know what that's about, so I, I can do that. And then they say, and the last thing that we want you to do is you have to go through a ceremonial washing. You will actually get into a cistern of water, and you will do a washing that basically represents the fact that you are washing the Gentileness off of you. You're, you're washing that away, and you're going to get in this water, and you're going to wash off the Gentileness so that you can say that you're truly embracing Judaism, Judaism. And you say, well, that's a lot to remember. Do you think you could write that down for me? Because I don't know if I can remember all that. So they say, sure. So they get you to a scribe, and the scribe is going to write, you know, they find some parchment and a pen, and they're going to write this out. And, and um, when they get to the part that would describe this washing, this ceremonial, this bath thing that he's talking about, the odds are pretty good that the Greek word that would have been used to describe that bath or that washing was the word baptizo. Baptizo. Which, that's where we get the word baptism. Really, all we've done is we've done this thing called transliteration, where we've taken a word in Greek, and it's got a Greek sound, and it's got a Greek pronunciation, and we've just basically imported that into our English language and we just pretty much use the the Greek word. In fact, we've done that with a lot of words in our English vocabulary that you use that you don't realize were once Greek words. Same with Latin and other things. But you use a lot of Greek words that you don't even know are Greek. But when they use that word, when they say baptism, that really wouldn't mean anything to you because baptism to the Jews wasn't anything special. Uh, it was a common word that was used for, for washing or for taking a bath. There is a, there's a book called the Liddell Scott Oxford Greek English Lexicon. It's this huge book. If you were to go buy one, it would cost you probably $100 to get one of those books. Scholars would have one in their library. I do not have one, so that tells you I'm not a scholar. Um, but if you had one, you could open it up, and in there is, our, is every Greek word that is used in the, in the New Testament. And not only is the word in there, but a definition of how that word was used and maybe some references in the Bible where you might find that word get used. And and in Greek, there's all kinds of uh, different declensions for all the words. I mean, you think English is hard, and when you take English class, trust me, Greek is just off the chain hard. And there's all these different endings and all these different uh, beginnings and, and, you know, the way they worded things in the sentence was weird. But, But when you... You can go into the, the Liddell's Oxford Greek English lexicon, and when you look the word baptizo up, what you come away with are the words immerse, dunk, 
dip, cleanse. It's been used to describe someone who had drowned. It's been used to describe a, a ship that, not in the scriptures necessarily, but in other Greek writings, it's been used to describe a, a, a ship that has sunk. Uh, there was a guy named Candor. He was a, he was a poet, and he lived just a little before the time of Christ, and he was going to write down this recipe on pickles. He's going to teach somebody how to make pickles. And so he's writing it out, and he says, here's the recipe. In order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped into boiling water. And the word that he uses there for dipped is the word baptizo. So what he's saying is, you got to baptize this pickle. All right? That's, that's really kind of what he's saying. The word baptizo had no special religious or theological meaning or expression it was just a common word for dip wash or immerse it's been used to describe you know dipping uh clothing into a dye for the purpose of making it beautiful they would use the word baptizo you're going to baptizo that that cloth so your buddy in the temple would have told you that you need to do these four or five things and one of them was you need to be baptized you need to be washed and the word that they would have used would have been the word baptizo so you head home okay you're going to go home and, and talk to your wife about this conversation that you've had today and you walk in and you don't see your wife and and you know you look at the kids and say hey where's mom and they say well she's down by the jordan river so you walk down to the jordan river and there you see your wife and you walk over and and you, and, you know you say you know i went to the temple today to talk to him about maybe us converting from our current thing to to judaism and uh, she says, well, you know, how did that work out for you? And he, he says, well, I think that's going to be easier for you than for me, but, you know, we'll talk about that later. And as you're there by the Jordan River talking to your wife, you see a guy down by the river, and he's, like, preaching. He's teaching. And, and he, he's, uh, as you look out, he looks like a wild man. His hair's long. He's wearing kind of funky clothes. They're, they're you know, like animal skin kind of clothing. You, you're told that he eats weird things. And he's down there yelling, repent for the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and there's one who's coming whose shoes I am not worthy to tie. You need to repent and prepare the way. And you look at your wife and you say, who is that? And your wife says, well, they say his name is John. Well, this guy has your attention now, and so you move in to kind of get a closer look and to hear what he has to say, and all these people are down by the river, and they're listening to this guy, and he just keeps saying, you know, um, there's somebody coming who's more important than me, and you need to repent and get ready, and you, you're going, who's, who's he talking about? And this guy just keeps going. There's somebody coming. He's going to be great. You know, I'm not him, but he's coming, and then you see one of the oddest things you've ever seen. John steps into the Jordan River. And people walk out there to him, and he takes them by the hand, and he kind of puts his hands on them. And he takes, like, their hand and their shoulder. And you've never seen this before. You're, you're trying to figure out, like, if you were going to explain this to somebody, he's doing this thing, but you don't really know what to call it. You don't have a name for it. And so as you're looking at it, you think, you know, and you're looking for the word. You're looking for the word to, to put on this thing, and you don't really have a word for what you're seeing. It's like he's washing them. What's he doing, honey? What do they call that? And your wife says, well, I don't know, but everybody says that's baptizo. That's baptizo. And you're thinking, wow, that's the, that's the same word that that guy used today that I was talking to. He says that we've got a baptizo. 
And, and you keep watching, and he's just washing one after the other. He washes one, and they walk out of the water, and another one comes in. And every one of them, he puts his hands on them, and he baptizos, baptizos them. Now, this is a really important point in history because for the first time, this is the first time that we know of that this ever happened. Uh, no one had ever taken the idea of a ceremonial washing and where you transferred from one belief to another. No one had ever done that. That had been going on for a long time. But no one had ever taken that idea of baptizo or washing or dipping or dunking and actually put hands on another person and assisted in that process. That was brand new. Ordinarily, you would just get in the water and you would just do this dip thing by yourself. But now, all of a sudden, John is doing it differently. No one had ever manhandled another person like that during the process. This is brand new. So this is, it was so unusual, in fact, that John gets a nickname. They begin to, to call him John the Washer or John the Dipper, or John the, the Dunker. He got a nickname. And the little Greek word that they used that meant wash, they associated with John when they said baptizo. He became John the Baptizer, or one who, John the one who baptizes. Now, I remember being little. And when I was little, my mom used to take me to all kinds of vacation Bible schools, right? Like I grew up in a little town, and uh, there, was a, there was a Baptist church, and a, there was a Catholic church, and there was a Methodist church, um, Presbyterian church, and a Christian church. And we went to the Christian church, but my mom decided, you know, she had friends that went to the other churches, and when they would have their vacation Bible school, not only did I go to my vacation Bible school, no, that wasn't enough. She decided I should go to all the vacation Bible schools. Some of you have had that experience, right? So I went to one at the Baptist church because a woman that I dearly loved named Peach, Peach Miller, she was, I, just, I loved her family and loved this woman, and she went to the Baptist church. So mom said, Brett, do you want to go to Peach's church and, and go to vacation Bible school? And I said, yeah. Well, I'd heard mom and dad talk about, well, you know, so-and-so goes to the Baptist church and so-and-so goes to the Methodist church. So I had more of an association with the denominations than I really did about John the Baptist. So the first time I ever really started to learn about John the Baptist, when I heard his name, what do you think I thought? Well, that's John, he must go to the Baptist church. That's where John goes, he goes to the Baptist church. Well, of course, you know, there's Tony that goes to the Methodist church, he's, he's Tony the Methodist, and Frank the Presbyterian, and you know, just wherever you go, Brett the Christian, you know, you just, wherever they went, that's what you called them. And so, so now you've got John the Baptist. The reason John got the name John the Baptist is because he's the first person we know of in recorded history who actually put his hands on people and put them in the water and put them under for religious purposes. And this little Greek word, baptizo, gets connected to his name. But understand, this is a very, very common word in the Greek language, and it had no religious significance up to this time. I want to show you a passage of scripture. It's Luke chapter 11. There's an incident where this word gets used, and it's translated differently in Luke 11 than just about every place else in the Bible. It's the same word, but it gets translated differently. I want you to see this. Luke 11:37. 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Jesus goes to eat with this guy, and Jesus doesn't wash before the meal. He doesn't do this ceremonial washing. And you know this guy was watching Jesus. 
Like everybody watched Jesus to make sure that he did things the right way. Um, and I think Jesus half the time just did this stuff to mess with them. Like, watch this, I'm going to make them all mad. It's going to be awesome. Um, that's where Jesus and I are way different. I think Jesus kind of enjoyed that. And I'm like, I don't want anybody mad at me. So, but he didn't wash before the meal. And, and, and so this guy that's, that's had Jesus in is kind of offended. He's noticed that Jesus hasn't done this ceremonial washing. And he calls attention to it. Now, I'm going to show you the, the last part of that verse in Greek, okay? Um, let's get that next slide. So you, you have the verse 11, 30, or chapter 11, 38, verse 38, that's the English part, and then there's the, that's the Greek. I don't know how many of you have ever actually seen Greek language, but that's what it looks like. And I could, I could read that for you. I can't really translate Greek all that well, but I could read that for you. I'm not going to do that. I simply want you to see the two highlighted words. You see where it says wash, and then you come down and you see, can see in the Greek, that Greek word is the word ebaptisthain, ebaptisthain. Everywhere else, that's a, that's a form of the word baptizo, okay? Like I said, in Greek, you get all these different endings and all these different beginnings, and it, it's, it can get kind of crazy, but the, the root of baptizo is in there when you see ebaptisthain. Whenever you see the word baptizo anywhere else, it gets translated baptized in our English Bible. But what's interesting is in, in our English Bible, when you come across this word in verse 38, you get the word wash, which is the, exactly the right translation. And in every translation, I think, that is out there, that's the way that word gets translated in that verse, but nowhere else. The translators got it right. But here's what's confusing. In other places in the New Testament, instead of taking the word baptizo and translating that word wash into wash, every translator, you know, I just told you, every translator translated it in verse 38 as wash. Almost every other place in your English version of the Bible where you come up with the word baptizo, instead of translating it wash, they translated it baptize. They took the Greek word and they turned it into an English word and they created the word baptize. So unfortunately, this very common Greek word began to take on this really rich, thick theological meaning. And you say, okay, Brett, why is that an unfortunate thing? Why would we not want that to happen? It's bad news because that began to cloud what the word really meant. And it began to, it, it, it makes us look at baptism in a way that I think sometimes we shouldn't look at it, and that's the reason I'm preaching this sermon. What we find, even in the New Testament, is that the word, most of the time, that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get translated wash, because in the context, it would have been ridiculous for Jesus, for them to say, well, Jesus didn't baptize his hands. You know, for us to write that in our English version, if we said Jesus didn't baptize his hands, you'd go, well, of course not, because that wasn't, you know, his hands weren't, weren't accepting Christ, right? When we read someplace in the Bible, we expect that verse 38 we expect it to be rendered wash because that makes sense um but what what if we said no jesus you got to baptize your hands you gotta you gotta baptize you gotta you know we're, it's a it's a he would have said no that's you you're missing the point the point is in the first century the word was not an important religious word like it has become to us it was a word that was used like i said for washing dipping dunking sinking bathing so when they saw John down at the river doing that, dipping people, dunking people, when they saw John down there, everybody on the riverbank said, ah, oh, this, is, 
This is a significant thing. This is a religious thing. He's John the baptizer. He's John the, the washer. You know, he, 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 he's the dunker of people. So that's what the word meant. So you're standing there with your wife and you're watching John the Baptist and you're thinking to yourself, that's odd. I've never, we've never seen this before. And then all of a sudden, John turns in your direction and he kind of points in your general area and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you're standing there and he's kind of pointing at you and you're not sure and you're kind of looking at him like, me? And then all of a sudden you feel a hand on your shoulder and he's nudging you out of the way. And this guy steps through. And as you watch him walk through, he, he, you know, everybody just kind of seems to be looking at him as he parts the crowd and he walks through. And you look at your wife and you say, you know, who, who is that? And your wife says, well, everybody, I, that's Jesus. Everybody says that's Jesus. And you're thinking, I've heard of him. And Jesus walks down toward the river and the, the crowd parts to make way for him. And as he gets down to the water, here's what you hear. Here's the exchange that you hear. Jesus says, John, I want you to wash me. And John says, Jesus, John is the cousin of Jesus. John says, Jesus, I I can't wash you. You should wash me. I I, I shouldn't wash you. You should wash me. And Jesus said, no, John, I want you to wash me. And John says, no, Jesus, I know who you are. And you should be washing me. So they they had an arm wrestling contest to decide who would, no, I'm just kidding. Um, So in our story this morning, Here's all we know about baptism. First thing is, you've got, you can go from Jew, you can go from Gentile to Jew, and it's a part of that. We've got this idea that there was this guy named John, and he was preaching a message, and everybody seemed to agree with his message, and those who seemed to agree with the message kind of came down into the water, and he he washed them. He, He dipped them into the water then you've got the son of god showing up saying hey i want you to wash me and john's saying no i you know i shouldn't do that and they're having this back and forth and john washes and immerses and dips he baptizos jesus then jesus leaves and he he, he has his own disciples and they begin to do that same thing and you can find this in the new testament where there's this one point in time where John is over here, and he's got a group of disciples, and as people come to him, he's baptizing, he's washing, dipping, dunking them. Then you've got another group over here that's with Jesus. He's gone to another place, another part of the country, and everybody that comes to him, those guys are, are being baptized, dipped, dunked. And you know what we later find out is that Jesus never really baptized anybody. It was his disciples that were doing it. And so no one had ever done that before. No one had ever put their hands on somebody and put them under. This was a, a kind of a new way to do it. And the first person they ever saw was John the dunker, John the, the dipper, John the washer, the baptizer. And John gets tagged, tagged with it. And if that's all we had, if that's all we knew about baptism, what, what does it all mean? There's more to the story. Jesus goes on and he does his earthly ministry he is crucified, buried, uh, he has is, he is ascended to the Father, and apart from all that, there are these two guys that had been disciples of John, they had studied under John, and they got trained by John, and they learned, you know, they saw John baptize people, and so they were preaching the same message, message that John was preaching, that there's one who's coming, he's awesome, we are unworthy of him, but he's coming, I'm not him, but he's coming, he's going to be great, he's going to change everything. Well, these two guys got trained by John, and then they got sent out to go teach John's message in another part, of the, another part of the world. 
The problem with that is, in the meantime, Jesus shows up, lives, is crucified, buried, and ascended into heaven, and these guys don't know anything about it, okay? So Jesus has come and done the deal. John the Baptist has been beheaded, and there are these two guys that are out over here, don't know anything about Jesus, and they're preaching the message that John the Baptist taught them about repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus is coming. And so uh, while all this is going on, you, you can read about this in Acts chapter 19, some years later, Paul comes across these two guys. And, and um, Paul, he, he was once a Pharisee, and he actually becomes a follower of Jesus, and as soon as he does, he is baptized, and, and he's out teaching people about Jesus. He runs across these two guys that were disciples of John, and he hears their message, and, and he says, boy, that sounds like what John used to teach. He walks up to him, and he says, hey, you know, the sermon's really good. The problem is the message is wrong. You know, you, you've missed a couple of chapters in the story. There's more to the story. There's more that's happened, and you need to be telling people what's happened. You, you guys don't have all the information. So he goes over to them, and he says, where did you, where did you hear that? And they said, well, we heard it from John the Baptist. We, we're, you know, we're, we're disciples of John, and we've been preaching the message of John. And Paul says, okay, let me fill you in. <laughs> um, all that's happened already, okay? It's over. Jesus has come. He's been, already been crucified. He's already gone back to be with God. The one you're talking about, his name is Jesus. And so you need to change your message. And then listen to what these two guys decide to do. This is Acts 19, verse 4. Paul said, as Paul talking to them, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. And just so these guys would know who he's talking about, he says, that's Jesus. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what happened is these two guys have been baptized by John. They find out that Jesus has come and gone, and they said, well, we, you know, we, the only thing we've ever known is the baptism of John. And they were rebaptized by Paul in the name of Jesus. Why? I mean, what difference does it make? What, what does that have to do with anything. Now, if we just kind of lassoed all that up right now, if we just kind of circled all that up and asked the question, what does baptism mean? Why were these people doing that? And, and what was the significance of it? That is the proper context to discover the meaning of baptism because that's how it all started. That isn't just how it started for Christianity. I mean, that's how baptism really got started. And then Jesus picked it up from there. And then as you read the rest of the New Testament, every time someone puts their faith in Christ, every time they encounter the message of Jesus and they say, I believe that, I want to be associated with that, every time you see that in the New Testament, you see that person get baptized, baptizoed. So here's the moral of the story. You know what baptism is? Baptism is really nothing more than a simple public declaration of a new association. That's what baptism is. It's a public declaration of a new association. In other words, I'm going to go public, and I'm going to declare my association with this thing that I believe. Now, let's take that definition. Let's run that back through everything we just learned so that the person that was a Gentile that wanted to become a Jew, by doing this washing, they were associating themselves with Judaism. That's what that meant. John the Baptist said, if you're going to believe in my teaching and follow my teaching and repent, I want you to come down in here into this water. I want to baptizo you. I want to wash you. And, and I want you to make a public declaration of this new association 
that you're going to have. That's why Jesus wanted John the Baptist to baptize him. John, I want you to baptize me in front of all these people. He was, what was Jesus doing? He's validating the message of John the Baptist. He is submitting himself to the teaching of John. He's closely identifying himself, and he's saying, I'm going to go public with my, John, I'm going to go public with my association with you, and I want to validate what you're saying, that your message is the message, and that what you're saying is true. And then when people would put their faith in Jesus, they would allow the disciples to publicly wash them, to baptizo them, because they were associating with Jesus. That's why every time a person puts their faith in Christ and decides to follow him, the next thing you see happen is when they go public with that declaration, they also do this thing where they get washed. It was a public declaration of a private association. Uh, I'm now associating myself, and I'm unashamedly a person who follows Jesus. Now, historically, the significance of the water is I'm washing myself, right? I'm I'm taking on a new identity. I'm going to wash myself of my former belief system. I'm not going to believe that way anymore. I'm not going to do it that way anymore. That's my former association. This is a new thing for me. Now, if that's true, if everything I just said is true, and I believe it is, then all of that has some implications for us. The first thing that I would tell you is, one of the implications is that's why we don't baptize babies here. Okay? Because every time in the New Testament where there's a baptism, it is an individual who has learned about Jesus and has put their faith in Jesus and and has said, I want to publicly associate. It's a decision that they've made. You know, I want to publicly associate, whether it was Judaism or John the Baptist or Jesus. In every case, these were individuals who'd made a personal decision. In the New Testament, we read of a a man who commits himself to Christ, and it says he went home and his entire household got baptized. And all we think that means is that the ones who were of age, who understood who Jesus was and what was going on, that they placed their faith in Christ, and they too were baptized. Some have taught that that is an, inferring, an inference to the idea that even the children, even the small babies, would have also been baptized, but that would be an inference. There's, there's really no real hardcore place in the scriptures where you ever see that that happens, so we don't believe that that ever happened. The truth is, nowhere in the New Testament do you see a, a child get sprinkled or baptized, an infant or a, a baby. Um, now, if you were baptized or christ, christened, almost said Christianed. If you were christened in the Catholic Church, Catholic, we have a lot of Catholics that go to church here. And that is fine, okay? I, I, I tell people all the time, Catholics love me because I don't try to change them from being Catholic. You are what you are. You know, at some point, you'll either decide that you want to uh, adopt new ideas or you may have some Catholic ideas for the rest of your life. That doesn't really confront us, doesn't bother me. You just, I, people love me because I just let them be Catholic, okay? It's okay. And I'm not, I want to make sure that you understand, I'm not casting aspersions on your faith heritage, all right? I'm not putting down anything that you did as a little child or anything that your parents did in having you christened or baptized as an infant. I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to hell or anything, nothing like that. I'm not putting it down at all. I'm simply trying to make sure that we understand from a New Testament Christian teaching perspective what is baptism and what is it not? Here's the thing. You're ba- if you were baptized as a Catholic or if you, were, if you were baptized as a baby, we both know this. 
it was way more significant for your parents than it was for you, right? I mean, it was a big deal for them. You, not so much. You didn't know what was going on. Here's the thing, though. Your parents probably were afraid not to have you christened or not to have you baptized because they were told and they were taught if this child is not christened, then they will not make it to heaven or they will go into what the Catholic Church taught was limbo. And I don't know if you know this or not, but in 2007, the, the Catholic Church did away with the idea of limbo. They said, we're not going to teach that anymore. Um, after a lot of study and a lot of conversations, Pope Benedict decided, you know what, we're, that, we're doing away with that idea. But your parents would have been almost afraid to not have you christened as a youngster. The Bible never shows us a baby being baptized, and the Bible never teaches that some sort of spiritual transfer takes place where a baby is concerned by way of baptism. So consequently, at Cross Lane, we don't do that. But here's the question. Have you, since you have identified your life with Christ, put yourself through this thing that we would call baptism, this public washing? Have you done that? Since you decided to follow Jesus, have you submitted yourself to this command of Jesus to be baptized? Here's the second implication in the New Testament. Baptism has nothing to do with where you spend eternity. Ba baptism has nothing to do, it's not a heaven or hell issue. I know that some of you have been taught that. I know that some of you come out of backgrounds where you would say, well, yes, that's what I was taught growing up, that if you're not baptized, you're going to hell. I was raised in a church that taught me that in, in my early years. I was sent to a Bible college that taught me to teach that. Um, but I can just tell you, as I've gotten out and read the Bible and studied and learned, you know, there are a couple of New Testament verses that people will point to and they will say, see, that says that if you're not baptized, you're going to go to hell. But, but and, and if you just looked at that verse in its isolated context, you might think that. But when you set that inside of everything we're taught in the New Testament and some of the other stuff I'm going to talk about in a minute, I can assure you that nobody in first century Christianity believed that. Because their view of baptism, the people who wrote the New Testament, who were eyewitnesses to this, they knew that John the Baptist, what he did had nothing to do with heaven and hell. And he baptized Jesus. That wasn't a heaven and hell kind of situation. And as far as we know, John the Baptist was never baptized. They understood that baptism was simply a washing that symbolically represented, I've made an internal decision and I'm going to go public with that decision. And that was just a common understanding as you read the New Testament. Consequently, the writers of the New Testament would not have gone out of their way to say something like, oh, uh, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. There was no reason for them to say something like that because that was the furthest thing from their mind. Then, there's the story of Jesus on the cross between the two criminals. And as Jesus is hanging there, one of the criminals looks over. You know, Jesus has the sayings from the cross, and this, this guy's watching from his cross, and he's noticing Jesus, and he's starting to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is that guy that they've been talking about. This is that Jesus guy. And the more he's hanging there next to Jesus, the, the contrast of his life and the life of this sinless, perfect man, as he looks at him on the cross, he begins to realize, this, this man's innocent. This, this is the guy they've been talking about. This, this is the guy they say is from God. And so at, at some point, he, he looks at Jesus and he basically says, I know who you are. You don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be here, but you don't. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you know, if only we had time to baptize you, 
Is that what he says? No, that's not what he says. Here's a guy that has done nothing. And Jesus says to him, today, where, where I'm going, you're going. Yeah, but <laughs> Jesus, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't washed, I haven't, I haven't done any of the things that, that you know, people are supposed to do to be able to go to heaven. No, Jesus would say, no, that's why I came. But, but I can't change. Jesus, my life is ending. I mean, my life is going to be over. I can't, I can't change anything. I can't go wash. I, can't, I, re- I really can't even repent. I, I can't keep a promise. Jesus, there's nothing I can do. And Jesus would have said to him, I know, isn't it great? That's why I came. That's why I'm here. The criminal got in, and he was never baptized. See, Scripture doesn't teach that baptism is necessary to go to heaven. It teaches that baptism is a command of Jesus to demonstrate our public embrace of who he is and what he stands for. It's not, hey, I'm 12 years old, and now's the time for me to get baptized. It's not that. It's not, hey, you know, I went through this class, and now I come out, and on the end of the class, I'm, I'm going to go do this thing because it's, it's what age I am, and it's, what, it's just what we do in our church. It's just time for me to go do this. And if you were to ask them, well, do you believe any of that? Well, no, not really, but they, they're telling me that that's what I should do. Well, well, hold on a minute. So so what does that mean for you and your family? It means that if you have not been washed in this way since you have put your faith into Christ, you should be obedient to Christ and you should do that. It's not a heaven and hell thing. It isn't a church membership thing. This has everything to do with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, right before he goes to be with God, when he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, as they embrace me, baptize them in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit, because this is a public demonstration of a private, an internal association that you're going to make. Now, let me follow that up with this Cross Lane doesn't benefit in some way by you getting baptized, right? Like, we're not a part of some denomination that sends us more money if we get more baptisms. That doesn't happen. I don't benefit if you get baptized. Like, I don't get a baptism bonus, right? So, yeah, I got, I'm missing my quota. I got to get so many or I don't get a bonus this month. There's nothing like that going on. The, the church doesn't benefit. I don't benefit. This is simply a command of Jesus that we find in the teachings of the New Testament. But here's the significance. When you were baptized, you are participating in something that over the centuries, all the people who came before you who believed in Jesus and submitted themselves to that teaching Many, 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 many of them responded in obedience to Christ and they submitted themselves and they were baptized. Millions and millions and millions of people over the centuries who have done that. That's something that we get to share with them. And and, and it's basically what you're saying is, I will follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus. And you're just declaring that for everybody to see. I am a follower of Jesus and I want to do what he tells me to do and I want to start my new life in him by obeying him, because that really, ultimately, loving Christ is obeying Christ. It's that simple. So here's how we end this morning. We're not going to bring the band out. They're not going to play. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to pray, and then we'll close. Is Samantha in here? There she is. Samantha Drabus is one of my favorite people. Her heart for God is, like, massively huge. Her heart for evangelism is huge. I, I just love her family she's constantly trying to figure out ways to influence people for the kingdom and she was out one day and she ran across this young man 
and I don't know all the specifics, but in a conversation, it became clear to Samantha that uh, this young man was not a believer. Or maybe he asked her something and she talked about her church. She would, she would do that very naturally. And somewhere in that conversation, it came up and he basically declared himself an atheist. And I don't know how or what, but something that Samantha was able to do put this guy on a path and he got to some people who could love him and teach him and disciple him and train him and he finally got to the place where he was ready to go from being someone who didn't believe in God to a person who believed that he was a sinner and that he needed a savior and he was going to put his faith in Christ and he wanted to do something about that. And so when that happened and he got baptized, he sent the video to Samantha. And Samantha sent it to me this week because she knew I would just get a charge out of it. Samantha said, I cry every time I watch this. And sure enough, I was in Atlanta with my kids and I opened the video and sure enough, I watched that. And knowing the story, I bawled like a baby. So I want you to see this baptism because it's really significant. This is an atheist coming to Christ. And after everything we've talked about, I just want you to see another baptism before we go. Public declaration of a new association. Public declaration, new association. If you've never done that, you should be obedient to Jesus and get yourself baptized. We could talk about it. Would love to talk about that with you. Let's bow and close and uh, and, pr and close in prayer. Father, you're awesome. You you've given us your word so that we can know your thoughts and kind of what we're supposed to do. And and uh, Lord, there's just so many things that the church gets a hold of and we you know we go different directions with them this word baptizo and baptism is one of those things and some churches teach it one way and do it a certain way and it, the methodology isn't really even all that important it's it's this idea of of this this public declaration of a new association and father it's not so much that we disagree with each other on the theology of it I, that's i mean you there's there's a truth somewhere i believe i've taught that this morning but, but what is absolutely clear is that you have called us, once we give our life to Christ, to be baptized. And so, having done that, I know what a, a special feeling it is. I know it's a memory that I've never forgotten. And when I think about being a believer in Jesus, baptism is certainly a part of that for me. So, Father, as we've taught today and as we've talked, I pray that the one who maybe has never obeyed Christ in that way would do that. That they would make public their association with Jesus. Father, for the one who has never even declared that they believe in you or that they want to follow you, I pray for that person that they would be able to get to the place where they finally realize this isn't about how good I am, this isn't about how good I can be, this is about how good Jesus is and the fact that he wants to forgive me for everything I've ever done. 
And so, Father, for the person who's never received forgiveness, I pray that today they might open their eyes and see that beautiful gift in front of them and that they would respond by giving their life to Christ and then from that they would be obedient to Jesus in the waters of baptism. Father, we lift your name and we worship you above everything else. You are amazing and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.